Well, it is indeed a pleasure and an honor to be uh, back in Marathon. Um, is my wife on? Okay, good. I mean, you know, Lisa's the one that keeps me honest, and, you know, who knows where we'd go if she wasn't on Zoom with us. Uh, so, uh, again, I, I, it is, it's just a pleasure. You guys are great. Uh, uh, so many of you have asked about my jail ministry. I just want to take a second and share what's going on there. Uh, you know, it's going good. Uh, had a few hiccups in um, July. A couple fights broke out while I was teaching. And, of course, uh, that cuts short the teaching uh, session. They issue me out right away. So hopefully no fights break out in Marathon today. You know, I want you guys to be calm. Be calm. Um, you know, I've also volunteered uh, down at the jail. There's actually six of us that are going to be teaching a 12-week uh, uh, Bible study to the men that want to sign up. There's also a program for the women. It's called Malachi Dads. We'll be doing it once a week. There'll be a team of two, and we'll be teaching them uh, how to be better fathers and how to be better uh, husbands. So uh, something we're looking forward to. You can keep that in your prayers. Also, you know, I don't know if you know this. Al, Al and Carol, uh, Shannon, they they make less. They make copies of lessons for the inmates every week. Um, uh, Twenty-five copies, which is just a real blessing because the county only provides a uh, hundred. I think it's a hundred fifty or a hundred uh, lessons. So we've got more volunteers. So that's been a blessing. So. Again, I, I thank you for your interest in my jail ministry. I want you to continue to pray for them. I heard a good one that I'll share with you. I think it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, a guy needed a ride to the airport, so he calls a taxi cab. And the uh, taxi cab shows up. He gets in the back seat. And after they've gone a little ways, um, he decides he wants to say something to the taxi cab driver. Well, he leans up from the back seat, taps him on the shoulder. Well, this taxi cab driver lets out a blood-curling yell, loses control of the cab, it jumps the curb, goes in a neighbor's yard, narrowly missing a tree. And the passenger, he is a very, very apologetic. He says, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to startle you so much. I didn't think tapping you on your shoulder would cause such a fright for you. Taxi cab driver turns around, says, sir, it's not your fault. This is my first day driving a cab. For the last 20 years, I've been driving a Hearst. <laughs> well, hopefully it has nothing to do with what we're going to study tonight or today. Uh, we're going to look at a very familiar parable, the parable of the sower. It's actually in three of our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to look at Matthew's account. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. And it's pretty lengthy in Matthew. It's 23 verses. I'm not going to read through it all. I'm going to kind of take it in chunks. So we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 9. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat, sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed and fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, and because they had no depth of soil, but when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. We'll stop there. So in verse 1, that day, well, what day? Well, many believe that this is a reference back to Matthew 12. And what happened in Matthew 12, if you look back, you'll see in verses 12 through 36, the Jewish religious leaders had accused Jesus of casting out demons by the, by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus had responded and said, hey, 
you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. This is the unpardonable sin. Many believe that this was the formal rejection of the nation of Israel of their Messiah. Also in chapter 12, you'll find in verses 46 through 50 that Jesus' mother and brothers come looking for him. And why are they looking for him? Well, they think he's out of control. They think he's bringing disgrace to their name, and they've come to retrieve him. That day wasn't a very good day for our Lord. And he left the house, and he was sitting by the sea, and maybe by himself. But then all of a sudden, large crowds gathered to him, and verse 2 gathered to him. So he got in a boat, sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. Well, who's this crowd? Well, these are not Jewish religious leaders. These are not even his family. These are Galileans. These are people that are common folk. They make their living by farming and fishing. There were probably a number of Gentiles among them. They didn't have a good knowledge of the law. They didn't have a good knowledge of the Old Testament. And they gathered to him, and he got into the boat out on the Sea of Galilee. He sat down and started teaching them in parables. He used the lake as a natural amplification of his voice. And he started teaching them about in parables. In verse 3, he says, spoke many things to him parable. The Greek word is parabola. It, it, it means to lay alongside. That Jesus is laying alongside the measurement of the kingdom. It would be like them putting a measuring rod or a measuring stick. Or, or us putting a ruler or a yardstick. How many of you still have a yardstick? Yeah. We have one. I never measure anything with it. Only, it's only good for getting things out from underneath the couch, you know. <laughs> but that's what it is. It's laying alongside. Jesus is laying alongside the measurement of the kingdom here. Jesus was the master of this. I mean, he could take a simple story and lay alongside a profound spiritual lesson. Now, he gives, he gives us the parable. We're going to get back to the parable because he's going to explain it later in this passage. But I want you to look down at verse 9 of chapter 13. He who has ears, let him hear. Well, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, most of us have ears. Listen up. This is not some simple story. There's a message here. You know, when Bill Butterworth was here a few weeks ago, he said, there's a difference between hearing and listening. He says, you can hear, blah, 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 right? But you're not listening. Jesus said, listen up. You know, we have a saying in elementary. We tell the kids, hey, if you listen well, you learn well, you'll live well. Right? And in some ways, that's what Jesus is telling us here. Listen well. Learn well. Live well. Now let's look at verses 10 through 17. And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak in parables? Jesus answered to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. Forever has, to him more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For, their, for the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, for their eyes for they have closed their eyes, otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it. 
to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So what is Jesus saying in, in verse 10? The, the apostles get him alone. They say, you know, why are you teaching them in parables? Well, he explains it in verses 11 through 13. He says, to you has been granted the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Mysterons is a Greek word. Uh, it, it was veiled previously, but now Jesus is revealing it. And he says, but to them, in verse 11, but to them it has not been granted. What he's saying is it takes faith to understand what these parables are saying. It takes faith to unlock the truth of these parables. He says, you guys have faith in me as the Messiah. You're going to understand but to those who are unbelievers, those who do not faith, have faith, they're not going to get it. They're not going to. Even these Galileans who don't understand the complete law are going to get it if they believe I am the promised Messiah. You know, J. Vernon McGee, you know, my wife doesn't like J. Vernon McGee. I, I love him. You know, I don't know how many of you remember J. Vernon McGee. I'm really, I'm really going back. Yeah, but uh, I love his teaching. Lisa can't, tell, can't stand him because of his South Carolina accent. You know, but I, I love him. He calls Matthew 13 the great mystery parable because it takes faith to unlock those parables. He says in verse 12, For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. He's saying, you know, Jesus never shuts the door on anybody that wants to learn. You know, if you want to learn, you have faith, you're gonna... Jesus is going to teach you. Jesus is going to give it to you. I mean, he said it on the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. I love Proverbs 8.17. I don't know how many of you know that Proverbs. It says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me will find me. Boy, if you ever want a verse for the people that say, well, what about the Bush people in Africa who never heard about Jesus? You tell them, I love those who love me, and those who seek me will find me. If they can tell from creation, look up at creation and tell there's a God, and if they want a relationship with that God, you know what? God is going to get the message to them. God will get the message to him. He says, but you, you be, whoever has more, he will have an abundance. But look at the last part. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. He's saying those of unbelief that don't have faith, whatever spiritual light they have is going to grow dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. You know, all people are either progressing or degressing spiritually. Oh, they can hit plateaus along the way. I realize that. But they're either progressing, growing in their faith, or they're degressing, they're growing in their un unbelief. In verse 13, he says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. People without faith, you know, they're not going to get this. The Jewish religious leaders, they, to them, they, they, these were just silly riddles. They didn't get it. I mean, it was part of God's mercy because they were going to be held accountable for the spiritual revelation that these parables are giving us. They were going to be held accountable as part of God's mercy. They wouldn't face judgment for that. He says it fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah in verse 14. God gave this to Isaiah. When did he give it to Isaiah? He gave it to Isaiah when he was commissioning Isaiah. He said to Isaiah, you go and tell Judah, unless they repent, they're going into captivity. They're going into Babylon, right? The Jews, they were hearing, but they didn't understand. They were seeing, they didn't perceive. Their hearts had become dull, 
The NIV says calloused. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and with their eyes, they've closed their eyes. He's telling Isaiah, don't don't be discouraged. They're not going to listen to you. They've heard this judgment thing all before, right? It had become ho-hum to them. It had become dull. Their hearts are callous to it. Don't get discouraged. You know, I think there's a lesson in there for us. You know, this book can become pretty familiar to us. It can become pretty familiar to us. Let's not our hearts get dull and, and callous and ho-hum. Because this is God speaking to us. God speaking to us. I love what Wayne said. Anybody remember what Wayne said last week? He said to take a post note, put it on the front of your Bibles, and said, do not close this Bible unless you can answer the question, what have I learned from reading it today that I can apply to my life? Wow. Wow. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do a post note. I wrote it on the front cover of my Bible, right? Post notes would fall off. But, I mean, it, it, we got to be careful. This is God speaking. Jesus is repeating Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 here. Judah had ignored him. What happened? Captivity, right? He's repeating it again. Jesus is repeating it again. And what had the Jewish religious leaders just done? Committed the unpardonable sin. Rejected him as Israel's Messiah. What's going to happen again? Judgment's going to come again, right? 70 AD, Titus the Roman's going to come level Jerusalem. People, there is always a cost for not listening to God. There is always a consequence for not listening to him. He who has ears, let him hear. He says, look at that last part of 15. He says, otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. What a beautiful part of a verse. You know what he's saying? God always stands ready to forgive us. If we'll just repent, he's willing and able and loving enough to, to, to forgive us. He would forgive Israel. He'd forgive the Jewish religious leaders. He forgives us when we don't listen. If we repent, if we turn. He says to the apostles in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you, you hear and did not hear it. He's saying to the, these guys that have faith, he says, blessed. When I was last with you, we looked at Ephesians 1. That word bless is from the Greek word makadiso. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. It means fortunate or happy. He's saying, hey, you guys are fortunate that you are seeing and hearing these mysteries of the kingdom. Many prophets and righteous men long to hear and see, but they never had the opportunity. It was veiled to them. You are blessed. Now, let's get to the parable. In verses 18 through 23, Jesus explains the parable. I told you, I only look stupid. I picked a parable Jesus explains. Yeah. Uh, look at verses 18 through 23. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been given, that what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. The one whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when, afflictions or per, or, or when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, 
immediately he falls away. And the one whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word, understands it, and who indeed bring, bears fruit, bringing forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And you go back to verse 18, he's telling the apostles, hey, listen up here. It's the same Greek word he uses the whole way through this, it, it, written in Scripture. From verse 9 to verse 18, it's the same Greek word. Here, listen, listen up to what the parable means. Now, you have three parts to this parable. You have a sower, you have seed, and you have soil. There's nothing wrong with the sower. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The variable is the soil. And the soil is representation of the hearer's heart, of their heart. Now, what do we know about sowing? Well, you look at, you look at this parable, and it seems like sowing is a pretty easy task, right? I mean, in biblical times, you had a sack of seed, you reached in with your hand, and you just scattered it away. A child could do it. Matter of fact, be honest with you, some of our children are better sowers than we are. It was an easy task. And the sower sows indiscriminately. I do not see where the sower saying, well, I don't want to get any seed on the road. Uh, I don't want to get any seed. That looks like rocky soil. Oh, I think some thorns are germinating over here. Oh, he's sowing indiscriminately. It's an easy, simple task. Well, what's Bible teach us about farming or sowing? Well, in other parts of Scripture, we see in James chapter 5, verse 7, it says the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets its early and late rains. Early rains would have been November, December, soften the soil. Late rains would have been February, March, to produce the fruit or, or, or the grain. All right? and, and he's patient about it, being patient about it. I don't know if you remember when Chip Dickens was preaching for Chuck. He took us to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove and rebuke and exhort with great patience and instruction. Hey, as sowers, we have to be patient. We can't get frustrated when we don't see fruit right away. You know, Joseph went out and gave out tracts. I'm, sh you know, he didn't see fr fruit right away. I, I don't think you see fruit right away, you know. But that, that's, we have to be patient. What else do we know about sowing? Well, I think Scripture t teaches us that sowers need rest. Sowers need rest. What do we see in the parable after this? The parable of wheat and tares, what is that sower doing when the tares are sown? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. I think nothing reduces the number of our pastors and our missionaries and our ministers and people like you and I who are involved in ministry more than burnout, than burnout. Just because we can do more doesn't mean we should do more. I mean, let's face it, with technology, with social media, we could sow 24-7, right? We could sow all the time. But that doesn't mean we should. I, I, we need our rest. And I'm not just talking about sleep. I know that's important to people our age. But it means spending one-on-one -on -one time with our loving Father. To, to, to rest in his arms. To uh, spend time with him. Allow him to refresh us and to recharge our batteries. You know, Philip de Corsi says when he was teaching on this, he says, you don't change the oil in a car with the engine running. George Whitfield says, it's okay to get tired in ministry. 
It's just not okay to get tired of ministry. I think Scripture is very clear that we need rest. I mean, God established it, right, in creation. The seventh day he rested. Not because he needed rest, but it was for us. Moses needed rest. Elijah needed rest. When Jesus sends out the 12 and they come back, and in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, he says, let's find a secluded place and rest a while. We need rest. No one was more under the gun than our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he had the crowds pressuring him. He had the Jewish religious leaders bearing down on him. He had surrounded himself with 12 guys that sometimes would frustrate him because they just weren't getting it. One of them was going to end up betraying him. And he did this all under the shadow of the looming cross, of the upcoming cross. He was, he was under a lot of pressure. But don't we see him asleep on a boat one time? Luke 5.16 says, But Jesus himself would often slip away in the wilderness to pray. Often slip away. He went to be with his father, to rest, to have him refresh to recharge his batteries. I listed some verses where it says where Jesus went alone to pray. Just a few of these. Luke 6.12, Luke 9.18, Matthew 14.23. This was after the feeding of the 5,000. Luke 29, or 28, he's praying when he's transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And these are just a few. Sowing is an easy task. You sow indiscriminately. You are patient. Don't get frustrated when you don't see fruit. And you get your rest. Just because we can do more doesn't mean we should do more. Now let's talk about the seed. Now in verse 19, he says it's the word of the kingdom or the word of God. The word is sufficient. The word is sufficient. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4, that I delivered to you of first importance what I have received from the Lord, that Christ died for sins according to the Scriptures and was buried and rose on the third day according to the Scriptures. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, For you have been reborn, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is the living and enduring word of God. The seed The word is sufficient. You know, but we live in an age, we're constantly trying to come up with a synthetic seed, right? Easy beliefism, right? All you got to do is ask Jesus in your heart. All you got to do is say a little prayer. All you got to do is have a little faith. Easy beliefism. I mean, I've seen it in jail ministry. I've seen volunteer chaplains like myself Take the guys that come to Bible study, get them all to stand up, hold hands, and say the sinner's prayer, and count those all as conversions. Really? Really? I mean, I even see it sneaking in our children's curriculum. All right, Sarah Crespo brought this to my attention. You know, the thrust of our, our, our curriculum is God knows you, Jesus loves you, the Holy Spirit leads you, and you're a child of God. Well, yeah, that's true. But don't you have to do something first? I mean, the gospel's there, but it's down in the third or fourth bullet point. Us teachers need to, we're always bringing it up front. I mean, Larry Moyer, you know, even till he's told us, you got to get to the bad news, right? You got to get to the bad news. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, Verse 4, my message and my preaching were not with persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So your faith may not be based on man's wisdom, but on God's power. You know, again, Philip, of course, he says, you gotta, we got to stop being salesmen and be more like the postman. Deliver the word. You know, my wife, when she's sharing with unbelievers, I mean, she... She works the gospel in 
you know, she doesn't even tell them it's coming from the Bible. She's so subtle about it. She just works it in. Me, I use the machine gun approach. You know, I just riddle, I just riddle them with holes from verses. You know, Lisa says I can give the gospel in 30 seconds. You know, 30 seconds. And some of that comes that I use, you know, we still do it, but when I was first a believer, we would go out to Native American fairs and pass out tracts and Bibles, and you only had 30 seconds with these people, right? I mean, after 30 seconds, they start looking over your head, which is not a big, a big <laughs> task in my, my case, okay? They'd look over your head. They'd be looking at the midway. They'd be thinking about what they wanted to buy for lunch. You know, either way is okay. Whether you use my wife's way or my way, both ways can, God can use as long as you're using Scripture. The Word is sufficient. But the Word is also powerful. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both the joint and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's nothing wrong with the seed. It's sufficient. The word of God is sufficient and powerful. There's nothing wrong with the sower. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The variable is the soil. And that is representing the hearer's heart. In verse 19, Jesus says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. Now, don't get lost. He's not talking about a road like we're used to. In biblical times, they didn't separate their fields by building fences. They had these paths where the workers would walk between fields and travelers would cut through those fields on these paths i mean that's where you see the disciples picking grain from the grain fields on the sabbath and getting in trouble but these paths would get hardened and trodden down and jesus says some of the seed the word of god falls on these paths and the birds of the air he said it in verse 4, come and eat it. Take it away. You know, birds sometimes in Scripture is a sign of evil. We see that in the case of Joseph, didn't we? Chief Baker has a dream. What's his dream? He has Pharaoh's baked goods on his head, and the birds in the air come and start taking away. Joseph says, hey, I got bad news for you. Didn't end very well for that Chief Baker. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 5.27, talking about wicked men, they're like a cage full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit, therefore they become great and rich. Whoa. Jeremiah wrote 2,600 years ago. He could be talking about United States, right? He could be talking about United States. Their houses are full of deceit. You know, our leaders are deceitful, our newscasts are deceitful, even though we're great and rich. Jesus says here, these birds are representative of Satan, the evil one, who takes it away. He snatches it away. How does he snatch it away? He snatches it away with false teaching. He snatches it away with the love of their sin. He snatches away in unbelief, fear of embarrassment of them when their friends find out. These people have a hard heart. They're like that road that's been trodden down. They're prideful, stiff neck. They may not be atheists. I mean, for the most part, they're probably not. Look at the Jewish religious leaders. These could be very religious people. They're just... In the false religion, Satan comes and takes away. Hard heart. And then let's look at verse 20. 
He says, and the one whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately he receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. When affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, we have to understand, most likely this is soil that has a thin layer of good soil and rocks underneath. So the seed germinates. But because it has no root system, because it can't get any moisture from those rocks, when the sun comes up, according to verse 6, right, gets high in the sky, they get scorched and withered. I mean, we certainly can identify with that, can't we? With the summer we've gone through, or going through, right? You don't put some water on those plants or their flowers, they're going to get scorched and withered. Scorched and withered. But Jesus says that they receive the word with joy. Now, don't get misled here. This is not believer's joy. You know what kind of joy this is? This is they finally found the answer. Jesus, he's going to solve all my problems. He's going to reconcile my marriage. He's going to help me in my financial distress. He's going to heal my sickness. These are people that use Jesus as a rabbit's foot, as a lucky charm. And they receive it with joy. They're rocket people. They take off. J. Vernon McGee says they're Elka-Seltzer. They're a lot of fizz. A lot of fizz. I I have a cousin. We're the same age. Uh, Matter of fact, we graduated high school together. And she was raised the same way I was, you know, Italian, Catholic, not very good Catholics, but Catholic. Um, and she found the Lord. She found the Lord, and, and she was telling the family. She was sharing Jesus with the whole family. And finally, the family shut her down. They says, you know, we don't want to hear any more about this Jesus stuff. And she, she shut up. She shut up. Unfortunately, about 10 years ago, she had a stroke. She can hardly talk now. He says they have no firm root, and when affliction or persecution comes, they're scorched and withered. I mean, when their friends make fun of them, say, hey, this means you can't party anymore, you can't get high. Or maybe they, they say to their boss, you know, I don't feel right about padding these clients' bills anymore. And the boss says, well, if you're not going to pad those bills, I'll find somebody that will. You'll be out of a job. Or or maybe a a husband professes faith and his believing wife says, well, well, now we should go to church together. And he says, wow, you know, Sunday's my only day to sleep in. You know, Saturday we got the kids' soccer games and baseball games. This is the only day I can sleep in. And isn't this is church like last till 1230? I mean, football season's starting. You know, I, you know I'm going to miss the first half of the Cowboys game. You know, I, in my case, it would be the Steelers game. But, uh, you know, I, I'm going to miss the first half of the game. And she's saying, well, you know, we should probably give some money to the church. What do you mean give money to the church? We're barely making it. We've got some past due bills. This is a, these are people that, as soon as they figure out there's a sacrifice, there's a cost, they're out. They have a selfish heart, driven by the flesh. They're out. Selfish heart. They fall away. And it says immediately. Whenever they figure out there's a cost or sacrifice, they're immediately falling. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they weren't really of us. For if they had been really of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us to show they weren't really of us. These people, when they figure out that Jesus isn't going to solve all their problems, he isn't going to heal their sickness right away, he's not going to help them financially right away, he's not going to reconcile their struggling marriage, They're done. They're scorched. They're withered. What Satan did along the road, you know what? The flesh. 
driven by the selfish heart, does in the rocky soil. And then you get to the thorny soil in verse 22. And the one in whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of the world choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now this soil seems to be okay. The thorns aren't having a problem with it. Um, they, it germinates, it grows, but it never produces fruit. I've got three rose bushes. And if you looked at them, you would say, hey, Bob, those are good-looking roses. Uh, I mean, they are always got new growth. I'm always pruning them. But they never produce roses. <laughs> All spring, from these three bushes, I got one rose. One rose. I mean, uh, I, I, mean I fertilize them. I, I have other rose bushes doing fine. They're not too far away, but... These roses never produce rose. Maybe it's the competition, and that's what Jesus is saying. It's the competition for nutrients and water. Maybe these roses are competing with the other plants for nutrients and water, and they don't produce fruit. Jesus says it's the worry of the world. This, these people say, I'm too busy. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to pray. i got a meeting. i got to get to work. The deceitfulness of wealth. First John two fifteen through seventeen says, "Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For the that for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives." forever. James and four, or James 4.4, 4, you adulterous generation, don't you know friendship with the world is hatred to God? If anyone chooses to become a friend of the world, he becomes an enemy of God. These people have a worldly heart, a worldly heart. I think this is the most deceptive. These people, these professing believers, think that you can have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. I think our churches are loaded with these people. I think Catholicism's loaded with these people. I mean, they think you can go to church, you know, and you can go to Mass for 45 minutes, you take a little Eucharist, a little bit of wine, you go to confession once a month, and you're good. You go out and live your way. The rest of the world does. What Satan did on the road, and the flesh driven by the selfish heart did in the rocky soil, the world does here. But then we get to verse 23. And the one whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who, bear, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Luke and his account in Luke 8.15 says, These are the ones who hear the word in an honest and good heart. Matthew writes, they hear the word, and they understand the word, and they bear fruit. These are people that are growing, and they're bearing fruit. They hear it, they listen, they learn, they're living it, they're doers. And Jesus says, the harvest is some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Jesus is talking an abundant harvest here. You know, I know a good harvest in biblical times was eightfold. Eightfold. And a fold meant you'd have eight times as much seed than what you started with. Eight times as much seed as what you started with, including the seed on the road, including the seed in the rocky soil, including the seed in the thorny soil, and including the seed in the good soil. You'd have eight times as much. We, some of us can remember when fruit produced, produced seed, right? Remember before there was seedless watermelon. You know, you, you used to have two pieces of watermelon, you'd end up with a whole plate of seeds. Right? Or if you go to the supermarket and you accidentally pick up grapes with seeds in them, you get three or four seeds in every grape. 
fruit produces more seed. I think in some way, we're getting to the point where we're trying to produce seedless Christianity. Hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, but the number's not important here. He's the Lord of the harvest. I love what Jonathan Murphy said, not this time, but the time before when he was with us. He says, you may not be able to change the world, but you can change somebody's world. You never know what somebody's going to do with the seed, with the word that you plant as sowers. J. Vernon McGee, in his commentary, has a little poem. He says, when you get to heaven, you're going to likely view a number of people are going to be shocked to you. But don't act surprised or even show a care. They may be shocked to see you there. <laughs> you know, I think in my testimony, I told you that I went to a Christian college. People, I was no more Christian than this podium here. And we had believers there. We had, you know, we used to call them the Jesus freak and the God squad. There were some true believers. You don't think some of those people are going to shock to see Bob Campanella there? Yeah, they are. I think I told you I sat in church for five years, probably heard the gospel a hundred times. But I was hearing, but I wasn't listening. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit got involved. Right? And you don't think in those five years there wasn't true believers that came and went in that church? I can guarantee you. They're going to be shocked to see Bob Campanella there. I don't know how many of you know the conversion story of Dwight L. Moody. You know, Moody was, a, as a teenager, kind of a hooligan, kind of a troublemaker. His uncle owned a shoe store. He made a deal with Dwight. He said, hey, listen, I'll give you a job, one condition. Every Sunday, you've got to go to Mount Vernon Congregational Church. Dwight Moody held up his end of the bargain. He went to church. He was befriended by a Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball. One time, one day, Kimball said, I'm going to go down to that shoe store. I'm going to share the gospel with Dwight L. Moody. On April 21st, 1855, Edward Kimball went down and shared the gospel with Dwight Moody. Moody repented of his sins on that day, put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. It is estimated that Moody brought over a million people to Christ. A million people. And of course, we have Moody Institute today, which is still teaching men and women how to be sowers. Oh, you can say, hey, that's Moody's fold. Yes, but it's also Edward Kimball's fold. You never know what one person can do. Pastor Jack Graham of Prestonwood Bible says, it's going to take all of eternity to determine your fold and my fold. All of eternity. We don't know how one person, what one person can do. We're asked to sow. We're asked to sow. Sowing's easy. So indiscriminately. Be patient. Don't get frustrated when you don't see fruit right away. And get your rest. Just because you can do more doesn't mean you should do more. Use the word of God. Use the seed. It's sufficient and powerful. Yeah, you're going to need to know, you know, some verses. Five, six, seven verses. I understand that. I mean, the Roman road, 1 John 5, 11 through 13, John 3, 16. You're going to need to know some verses. I have a pastor friend, when he first got saved, he knew one verse. And it wasn't even one verse. It was part of a verse. And he went out door-to-door -door evangelism, knocking on doors. He knew 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Now's the day of God's favor. Now's the day of salvation. That's all he knew. Not a bad bad part of a verse if you're going to know part of a verse the word is sufficient and powerful he's the lord of the harvest he's the one that's responsible for the heart responsible for the soil i don't know if you remember the uh the samaritan woman 
I don't know when's the last time we looked at it, but after Jesus reveals to her that he's the Messiah, she goes into Zychar, and she tells the man that, hey, I just met somebody that told me everything about my life. Could this be the Christ? And the men are going out to see this guy. And Jesus is with his 12 apostles. And he says to them, you guys say four more months and then the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. They are white for harvest now. I mean white. He's talking about the pods breaking open that you could see the grain in the pod. Amos, in Amos chapter 8, verse 11 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People, we're living in that famine. We're living in that famine. He expects us to sow. As John of Mercy, he expects us to be influencers. He's the Lord of the harvest. He says in Luke 10, 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Don't stop casting that seed. Listen to what the Lord is saying. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you make it so clear to us. You're such a good God and a gracious God. All you want us to do is cast a little seed. And then we would use your word and you do the rest. You prepare people's hearts. Father, I thank you for all the ministries that we're involved in. I thank you that we continue to cast seed. And we don't know what the ramifications of that is. But you do. I guess when eternity gets here, we'll find out. I thank you for these people. I thank you for their attentiveness. I thank you for their love of you. I thank you, Lord, that you are so gracious to us, even when we don't deserve it. And to that, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Bob. Yes. Mick has something to say. I never break my phone. The Lord promised me to break a phone because I needed a calendar. I'm a Gideon, and I'm inviting you all to come out. We're going to be at the Balloon Festival in Plano the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. And I need a group there to pray for us, that hearts are open as we give out Bibles to people. Come and see what the Gideons are doing and what people are doing. And we're also going to be on the state fair, Thursday, senior day, free day. We're going to be at the gate. Please come and pray with us as we hand out Bibles that hearts are open and people accept the Lord. Thank you, Mick. And trust God to prepare the soil. Thank you. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.